0: everybody. Welcome to Bible and Biscuits. Again, just we're going to jump in now that we're here, give people a few time. I want to thank uh, Chris for bringing the biscuits. Those are some great biscuits. Uh, so that's awesome. Uh, down here at the little Chevron gas station by the church. So those that are listening out in podcast land, Irondale, Alabama, <laughs> Grantswood Trail, Chevron. What is it called? Nana's Kitchen. Best biscuit in town right there. Amen. But let's, but let's jump right in. We're still talking again Bible interpretation. We're going to look at this and um, I will stop before we're done. And if anybody has a question, I uh, want to ask that you have a chance to ask questions or whatever, anything we can apply or do or comment or anything like that. But again, we're going to look here and in this class, we're looking at the five contexts. Kind of my plan was there were five Sundays. We were supposed to cover one a week, but we'll, uh, we didn't do that yet. So, uh, so we'll do that. But anyway, so the, they are the immediate context. The context of the letter or the book, books by the same author, context of the entire Testament, and context of the whole Bible. So now to me, these contexts, they're the foundational tools and framework of interpreting your Bible, right? Because again, context is king. And again, as we've jokingly said, have y'all all heard, you know, when people make a biblical argument they're always the one that's in context, and everybody else is the person who is outside of context. You ever know no matter what yeah. denomination we're a part of, no matter everybody? Well, I, I say that as a little funny example because it shows that we all understand that the power of context is king. Understanding why something was written, where it was written, to whom it was written, what it was written about is important. Does that make sense? So again, some questions you can ask as you're studying your Bible when you're reading any passage is who's doing the talking, who are they talking to, and what is the subject under discussion? And that'll help get you started to pass things through context, right? Now, all the other tools which are good, for example... Uh, Like, for example, a a tool of doing a word study, which is a tool of how to study your Bible, is important, but it never trumps context. I just had a a conversation this week with Pastor Kevin at our Irondale campus because he was listening to somebody, um, and they were a a quote-unquote Bible scholar. And they were talking about how that because of the original use of a certain word in the Hebrew language back at the first documents, that hell is not eternal. Right, that, that hell is just a temporary, I, I didn't listen to the whole argument or whatever, but the moment he says, have you ever heard anything like that? I said, well, I, don't, I haven't heard that before, but this tells me how untrue that is. So even though we can, and it's good to look at the original language and to see what a word means, you have to see what that theme and its whole context is talking about. Does that make sense? You have to look at the whole, because even though, yes, you may find a word, and like English, uh, in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, the three languages of the Bible, uh, there were synonyms. There were words that could mean the same different words. There's words that meant multiple meanings, whatever that word is in a literary sense. So you have to kind of study it like a language, but context helps you know overarchingly what God intended for it to mean. Does that make sense? And I told Pastor Kevin, I said, because if hell was only temporary for people, because that's the guy's argument, hell is just temporary for people. It's not eternal for people. I said, well, then heaven would have to be temporary for people too. (laughs) Does that that make sense? Because if you look at the whole context of things, right? So does this make sense? So again, there's the immediate context. What do we mean by that? the verses around the verse we're looking at or the phrase we're looking at the chapter that the verse is in then you go to what is the book right then you go books written by the same author then you look at the context of the testament right new or old right context of the whole bible what is the overarching principle of the whole but does that make sense so let's look at this and we'll do something let's look at the immediate context go to luke chapter 17 And we're just going to look at some examples and do some stuff. And again, at any time, if you have a question, if you want to pose a question, just jump on in. Y'all know how I like to work, especially in this setting. You're never interrupting me. Uh, Please just share. But here, I want us to look at a fairly uh, famous verse in Luke chapter 17, verse 5. Right. It says, so the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Anybody ever heard that verse before? So let's ask our question. So who here is doing the talking? The apostles. the apostles, right? So in this one verse, the apostles are doing the talking. What are they talking about? Baby. Baby. It, it, very good. It would appear they're talking about faith. And this is where, again, this is where people get tripped up. Because they'll take a phrase out and go, oh, they're talking about faith right there. But if you looked at the immediate context, as John just said, you would realize they're not talking about faith. They're talking about forgiveness, right? The, sort of, well, faith has, forgiveness has an aspect of faith in it, but this is important to understand. The real subject under discussion is faith. I'm not faith is forgiveness. Does that make sense? The real subject under discussion is forgiveness. And that one shift helps us there. Here's another famous one. We're going to come back to this one. But have you ever this before uh, in, in questions to uh, evangelism? If the Lord be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. Anybody ever heard that before? Right. How many have ever heard somebody say that's a good evangelism verse? Right. That if we lift up the name of Jesus and we go into all the world and we lift up Jesus, that they lifting up of Jesus and he'll draw all men unto himself. Let's go there real quick. I'm just gonna, we'll come back to this. Don't let me forget John 17 or uh, Luke 17. Let me find, I've got a reference of that note. It's in John chapter 12, that's why I was confused. Which is not hard to do sometimes. Come on y'all, y'all are. John chapter 12 and verse 32. right here again so let's do the same thing in john chapter 12 verse 32 who's doing the talking come on now help me out jesus because his letters are in red right y'all looking at your bible no nobody's looking at their bible okay Uh, come to a bible interpretation class nobody brings a bible You're looking at your biscuit. Everybody got their biscuit in their hand. No, but it's, so here in John 32, for those that aren't unable to look at their Bible, either because they're chomping on a biscuit or they, they got, don't have their Bible there with them, these words are in red. So if it's in red, who's doing the talking? Jesus. So who's doing? The, Jesus is doing the talking. And it says, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. So what does it sound like Jesus is talking about? He returns back to heaven. Well, again, it sounds like the cross if he be lifted up, right? And he's going to draw all peoples unto himself. And what does that sound like? Evangelism, the gospel, people getting saved, right? But let's back up a little bit. And here, when we look um, at verse 27, and even there, you can go back further. Let's go to verse 23. Says, But Jesus answered and said to them, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So what is he talking about? (coughs) His death. His death, his resurrection, what's to come, his work. Most assuredly I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will produce much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor. Him my father will honor. Now verse 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about his work, right? The purpose that he came. Why did Jesus come? What, well, to die on the cross, to rise again, and, and through that he would glorify the Father. But you see, Jesus here is talking about the work that only he could do, which was the salvation of man. Do you see that? Yeah. Everybody see that, right? Yeah. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now that's Father God. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it that heard it said that it had thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. So Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world would be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples unto myself. This is said, signifying what death he would die. So again, look at this. So he's still talking about his death. But when Jesus talks there in verse 31, what is he talking about? Look at your Bibles, verse 31, Jesus tells us what he's talking about, about what? Judgment of what? The judgment of this world, the judgment of the ruler of this world, he's about to be cast out. And then Jesus makes a reference to Moses. Now here's a little bit of a thing to pay attention to in your Bible. If you'll look in verse 32, in my New King James Version, it says all peoples, right? And other King James versions, it says, all men. In both cases, the word men and the word peoples is italicized. Does everybody know what that means when you see an italicized word? It means it was added by the translators, but it was not included in the original, right? So it was there and they were supposing they were helping us out and filling in a blank. So if we take those words out, sometimes it's helpful. Here it says, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to myself. Mm -hmm. Draw all what? Judgment. Mm -hmm. So again, let's do this. Good Bible scholars that are here. What is Jesus referring to here? That whole, if I be lifted up, I will draw. What Old Testament story was he highlighting? The The snake in the desert. You remember the children of Israel, right? We're in the desert. And what had the children of Israel done? They had messed up one more time, right? They were, it, they were like a Britney Spears song, right? They were just always, oops, I did it again, right? And here they go, off to the, and so they're there. Remember, the serpents had come in and began to bite. Judgment was there, right? Moses seeks God for a way to remove the judgment, and what does God tell Moses to do? To make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, lift it up, and what would happen if people looked at it? Listen to me, yes, yes, and yes. Their judgment would pass to the pole. So when they lifted the pole up and they looked on it, the judgment that was for them would go to the snake. So here, what is Jesus talking about? When he's lifted up, judgment goes to him. Mm-hmm. If I be lifted up, I will draw all what to myself? Judgment. judgment. Mm-hmm. That's good. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. So see, in the immediate context, you can answer all these questions. Right. Yeah. Who's doing the talking? Jesus. Right. What is he talking about? He's talking about his work and how his work will remove judgment, Mm -hmm. right? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about evangelism in the sense of now, please hear me. I know we can go out and we can tell people what Jesus did in that little story and people will, can be saved. But Jesus here in context is talking about what his work would do for humanity, not what we would do by preaching to humanity. Does that make sense? Back to Luke 17 to look at this. Everybody doing good? Any questions? Good. Okay, no questions. Any complaints? Do you think the people that he said that to got the reference to Moses? Oh, they always did. See, this is. And bro, what's your name again, brother? I'm sorry? Alan. Al, Alan. What was the question? So, do you think the people got the reference? Do you think when Jesus spoke with the people of God? I've learned this by reading the life of Jesus never said anything accidentally. There was never just this. Jesus is just blah, 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 blah. And remember, he said we would all one day stand to count for the words that we speak. So Jesus was very choice. Put it this way. Here's another great one. Right. Here's here's a fun one. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. So Jesus was silent. There was very little Jesus said from the time he was arrested to the time he died, there's like seven interactions where Jesus says seven phrases. Things like I thirst, right? right? You'll be with me in paradise. He says to the man, does that make sense? But you remember Jesus says an interesting word and it gives us the Aramaic translation. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? Very famous line. He said, Eli, Eli a la la something sabachthani right right he quotes it and it's translated we understand that to say go to psalms chapter 22 so now remember we look at the book of psalms and this is important to understand a little bit in this and there's some things that will teach that again that i want this to be your foundation from this class that you're going to have to study out every other tool we study has to survive the contexts. It has to support context. Does that make sense? Again, like I said, one of our biggest problems is, is we take our favorite Bible study tool and that's when we can get out of context, right? So one of these things is to understand, like I said, Bible survey, why things were written. So we know the Psalms and chapters, I like what one minister said one time, but the Psalms would have been a hymn book for the Hebrews. Just as much as I'm sure if you grew up on some good old Baptist hymn books and, and you knew when they, and praise God, I loved them, me too. And they said, go to, go to hymn number 123. And you, could all, you didn't even have to know the name, right? You just, oh, 123? And man, you're singing already. Does that make sense? It would have been similar most likely for the Hebrew people, right? Just as much as if I was, let's say I have some fun. You to have some fun? If I start a song and I say, trust and obey. Well, you need to, it's a great, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. How about a little kids one? This is my favorite one I teach my kids. This one has disappeared and we need to redo it. It's J-O-Y, remember this one? J-O-Y, this must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. Isn't that a good one? We all know this one, right? Amazing. You all see that? Yes. That's what Jesus did that day on the cross. Oh, that's good. Psalms 22, verse one: "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" That's exactly what Jesus quoted, and just like I did with you. Those that would have heard it would have gone to Psalms 22. Let's keep reading and see if this doesn't describe something. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear me. And in the night season and am not silent. For you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man. The reproach of men and despised by the people. Doesn't it sound like Isaiah 53? All those who see me ridicule me. Isn't that going on at that moment when Jesus is hanging? They shoot out the lip. And they shake their head and say, He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Isn't that exactly what the Pharisee said? Yeah. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Isn't that what the Pharisee said? Yeah. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I will cast upon you, I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me. For the trouble is near, for there is none to help. How many disciples were with him? None. none. Many bulls have surrounded me. Now there's a little bit of a veiled reference. That's talking about the priests and the Pharisees and the religious people. Because the bull was a symbolic type of priesthood, right? Mm-hmm. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, Uh huh. and all of my bones are out of joint. Remember, he had no broken bones. My heart was like wax, and it melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. Remember, what else did Jesus say? I thirst. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. Now, there's a reference to those who were non-Jews, like the Syrophoenician woman. Who were the dogs surrounding Jesus? The Romans. Right? The dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, and they look and stare at me. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Isn't that what the Roman soldiers did? But you, O Lord, be not far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. So again, remember, Jesus just opens up a line. And just like you would have poured out, they're walking through and can look all. So nothing Jesus said was without purpose or without connection. Right? Just like again, let's go back to Luke 17. So this is why, and I say that as a little, a study of a Bible survey helps. Huh? I'm taping this, yes. So also a study of cultural stuff helps. Does that make sense? Studying the culture of the Bible, studying what's gone on, what was happening in and around helps a ton. Right, like this one here. So back to Luke 17. (laughs) I need to keep it. I know people are heading out. Okay, good. We've got a few minutes. So it looks like in verse 5 of 17, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Right? So it looks like they're talking about faith. But back up to verse 1. Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. So what, is we, what are we talking about? Who, I, let me ask you, who's doing the talking? Jesus, what has He opened up the conversation about? Offense. offense, being offended. He says, hey, listen, it's impossible that there should never be any offenses. I mean, on one side, if we're looking to live an offense free life, <laughs> Jesus said, good luck with that. Right? I mean, <laughs> ain't gonna happen, right? It's impossible that there should be no offenses. But woe to the one through whom the offense comes. Right? So there's one who causes, and the warning is don't be that person. So even though we can't stop offenses, we can not be offendable. Because that mean, can I just pick on us just for a little bit? You know, how many of you have heard a good message on offense? How to live. I mean, Pastor Mark did it a year or so ago how to live offense free. And I remember, and he had this great analogy. Remember the porcupine analogy? Pastor Mark was talking about offense, and he talked about how, you know, it's like the little quill on a porcupine is barbed, and it kind of works its way in, right? And he talked about how to live, which is great. We should talk about that. But I remember talking with Pastor Mark about it, and he was sharing what he was doing, and I said, yeah, but what if you're the porcupine? Because you've got to look at me in that tone of voice. come on. Right? I mean, many times we talk about that, I'm going to live no offense. Yeah, but what if I'm the porcupine? What if I'm the one running around, sticking people? See, there's two sides to every conversation. Sure, let's learn how to live offense- free, but I also need to look at the side of the equation and says, well, am I the porcupine? Am I running around here? Because Jesus said, "Hey, listen, you're not going to stop offenses, but you can stop being offend- offensive. That's a whole other message for a whole other day. Amen. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea, then he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So don't you love that verse? Jesus said, you know, if somebody comes up and does something wrong to you, you look at him and go, stop it. <laughs> i y'all look. But did I, when, when my kids were little, and I got some little kids here, you know, mm-hmm. I remember we were up in Canada in the church and, and the kids worker comes up and it's Sophia and she goes, now, Pastor Brad, I know you didn't teach your kids this, but Sophia punched this little boy in, in Sunday school. I said, okay, well, no, I, I, I probably taught her to do that. <laughs> and, and she looked at me, I said, uh, is it so and so? She goes, yeah. I said, oh, I said, well, this is what I taught my kids First time they come up and do something, you stick your hand out and you go, stop it. Just like Jesus said. If it happens again, you go to the authority, the teacher and the parent, and we'll go with you. And we go to the authority. And if the authority fails to do their job, I go clean their plow. (laughs) Right? I mean, (laughs) just take care of it. See, I probably told her to do that. (laughs) But, you know, Jesus didn't say we can't defend ourselves. Jesus said here, hey, let take heed to yourself. If someone comes against you, rebuke them. Hey, stop that. Don't treat me that way. Right? You don't get to speak to me that way. You don't get to treat me that way. You don't get to act that way towards me. That's not right. Right? Because sometimes in church, we feel like we can't stick up for ourselves. Right? We can't defend ourselves. Right? Remember, and we always go famous. Here's the, we always famously go to what? We got to turn the other cheek. Here's a funny, so Courage is with me today. And I forgot what happened. And his mama spanked him. And he goes, Mama, should I turn the other cheek too? <laughs> I said, boy, you quit being, quit being like your daddy, right? I mean, that's just going to get you, that's just going to get more coming at you. But anyway. <laughs> But anyway, so uh, that's just a funny from the Holloman household. But we still go, but it says, but if he repents, you forgive him. Right? Same person. Right? So do you see that balance? I I mean, I didn't mean to teach on that, but that's a good one. When things come, you can look at people, hey, don't treat me that way. And if they come back and go, hey, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have treated you. Hey, it's all right. You're forgiven. Let's just move on. You're my friend. You're my brother. Does that make sense? Lots inside of it. And if he sins against you, and I love this, seven times in a day. Now, again, in the original language, it actually says if he does the same thing seven times in a day, we're not talking about seven different, because sometimes we can give people, okay, he's done seven different things, right? But here Jesus no, if he's done the same thing seven times in a day and seven times he returns and asks forgiveness for the same thing, right? Then forgive him. Then what do they say? increase our faith, right? So is the subject faith? No, the subject here is offense and forgiveness. Now this is going to help you. Now let's keep going because the reason why I pick on this is let's go this. So Jesus says in verse six, if you have faith like a mustard seed, now how many of you heard a good faith preacher talk about this before? If you have faith like a mustard seed, you'll say to this mulberry tree or in the old King James, it says sycamine tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea. How many of you ever heard a good message by a good old word of faith guy like myself? And we talk about the power of your words, brother Chris. And if you've got faith, then you can talk to your tree, to your mountain, and it'll be removed. And we kind of just start lumping all kinds of stuff up into there. What's the subject under discussion? Offense. So what do you think the sycamine tree represents? Offense. Because offense. how many of you like the disciples say, how do I forgive somebody who does the same thing over and over again and genuinely comes back and repents? Well, through faith, you speak to offense and tell it to leave your life. Well, come We ain't never taught it that way, have we? That's what Jesus was teaching. Hey, listen, how do we know, again, as he's doing this? The interesting thing, now here's where, again, some little bit of cultural study can do, and I'm going to have to pull my phone out and share, because you can Google this. I Googled it. It took me like five minutes to find out, so you can do the same thing. But you can uh, Google things, like, why did Jesus talk about the sycamine tree in connection to offense, And what Google will show you and many other scholars will say is there was a certain fig tree, a certain fruit bearing tree that would grew in the region there all across Israel and that area, right, that was specific. So again, back to what Brother Allen said, Jesus just didn't pick something out out of the air. He says, you'll be like that tree. And that sycamine tree has a very large and deep root structure and is the fastest growing tree in that region. Doesn't that sound like offense? Mm -hmm. A deep, fast growing, large root system. Remember what, I forgot who it was later in the scriptures, using a whole context. Don't let a root of bitterness spring up within you. Why? Because it's like a sycamine tree, Jesus said. It'll grow fast and it'll grow big and it'll spread out in your heart. Do y'all see this? So Jesus is not being accidental. Here's the one that got me is one of the names of this tree is it's called the casket tree. Because it was the preferred lumber to make caskets from. Doesn't that sound like offense? You hang on to it, it'll kill you. Kill something, bury it in the ground. So Jesus actually was, hey, you can say to the casket tree. Y'all know that tree? And everybody would have known, oh yeah. Because another name for that tree was called the pauper's fig. Or the poor man's fig. Because it produced a fig that wasn't sweet, it was bitter. And you could consume it, but only a nibble at a time. You couldn't eat the whole fruit at once. It would be too bitter. But you could make do. You could eat it a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit at a time. Does that make sense? And it was called a popper's fig because it's all the poor people could afford to eat. But doesn't that sound like offense? Is offense bitter or sweet? It's bitter. And you can eat it but only a little bit at a time. That's, why, that's what the problem with this is, right? Right. None of us go out there and just eat a big old pound full of offense. Mmm, this is delicious. <laughs> offense comes a nibble at a time. Do you see why Jesus says? Now here's the one that also got me, but this tree is only pollinated by a specific wasp that gets into the flower and stings the heart of the flower. And... So now do you understand why Jesus said, hey, listen, if you have faith, not a lot of faith, if you have mustard seed faith, you'll actually say to your offense, you'll speak to that which offends you and cast it from your life. Because you don't want the sycamine tree of offense growing in the garden of your heart. Do you see the difference? Now, do you see that? Besides a little bit of fun we had on Google, but just looking here, if we didn't even look at Google, if we would look and said, oh, Jesus is talking about offense. Jesus is talking about forgiveness. He connects faith and forgiveness. It takes faith to forgive, but his subject isn't faith. So therefore, when he says, oh, then you'll say to the sycamine tree, be pulled up and planted in the sea, and it must obey you. Amen. Aren't you glad all f- offense must obey you? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> well, it's going to, i tell you this time of year, it might be a bird. It's most likely a wasp because that's what's on my fig trees, right? Yeah, now, yeah, now, now the birds will come and, and help themselves. The squirrels will come. Yeah. Open, you know, yeah. And they you're offended. Well, they cast them, cast them birds out with a 22, brother. That's what I. <laughs> <laughs> that's. That's what. No, no, no. I just uh, it's great target practice for my boys. That's awesome. That's why. <laughs> but no, but does that make sense? Do y'all see that? And you see that that's all just from immediate context. If you just looked and asked yourself three simple questions and you may have to back up from the verse. You may be looking again. You may be looking at verse five and it sounds like the subject is faith, but it's good for you to back up a little bit and get a run at what was being talked about. And you ask, well, who's doing the talking? What are they talking about? Who are they talking to? Right, and it helps do this framework, and and many times it'll give you stuff like that. Oh wow, okay, that's what Jesus was talking about. And not only that, you go, oh wow, okay, maybe that's why I'm still struggling with whatever with offense, because I've been hoping I. (laughs) Do you understand? Most Christians hoping they're going to feel their offense away. You know, like I used to. My mama used to. I used to be that. My mama, I'd say, Mama, Mama, it hurts. She goes, Well, it'll feel better when it quits hurting. That was like one of my mom's classic responses. Mama, mama, this hurts. Well, it'll feel better when it quits hurting. Right? And many times that's what we do with offense. We're waiting for it to quit hurting. So then I'll feel better when it quits hurting instead of what Jesus said. No, no, no. You have to treat offense like the sycamine tree and you got to talk to it. And you have to speak to your offense and say, I forgive that person. I release this offense. Whatever was owed, they don't owe me anymore. You have no place in the garden of my heart. You have no place in governing my decisions and my responses and my choices towards this person. You understand? Now, to look at that, you understand, why is that important? Because you understand that's how we all got saved, Right? Jesus said, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you are saved. Well, also what you're doing when you're confessing your sin and you're confessing is you are using what Jesus said. You're talking to the offended person called Brad. Brad sometimes was my greatest offender. And, and I was saying, well, that's not me anymore. Yeah, I used to be that, but I'm not that anymore, right? That was once me, but not any longer, right? And we speak to our offense. And I I think, guys, listen to me. That's a big thing why people run around and they're still offended, right? It's because they're waiting for, like my mama, they're just waiting to feel better then they'll feel better. Instead of saying, "Mm -mm, no, I got to talk to this thing. My mountain, yes, sir. Revealed to me, I didn't like it at the time, but it was along the lines of this speaking to the offense. But he also said to pray for those that despitefully they use me. you. Well, I'm usually offended with people that despitefully I, use me, <laughs> and so yeah. what the Lord added to what you're saying was not only speak to the offense, commanded to go pray for that person, that's exactly right, and, like, and bless Ugh. them.
1: Ugh. Absolutely, it's mean,
0: just that, but. What I find is the enemy doesn't remind me of that offensive person as often if I'm just going to pray for them. That's exactly If I bless them and speak life over them. That's right. Then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I quit reminding him. He's just gonna pray for them. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, some of that, is, well, here's the thing. And again, and this is a whole other conversation. I'm going to have to let y'all go for, for time's sake. But remember, you know, we're talking about, you know, last week and this morning seed time and harvest. But remember, the greatest seed are your words. And the revelation God has given you when you speak it. Again, here, here's a, a, an interesting. thing. So we all right, we all good old Pentecostal people. Everybody here Pentecostal? Everybody talking tongues? Anybody here don't talk in tongues yet? If not. We can pray for you. you. Can talk today. But have you ever noticed? And here's just a little bit of an analogy, right? So when we yield ourselves fully to the Spirit and He comes upon us, what's the first thing He grabs? Your mouth. He grabs your mouth and gives you an ability to speak in a heavenly or an earthly language you don't even know. So when God comes and fills our life, his first target of interest is our mouth. To get a hold of what we're saying. Now how many times did Jesus have to cast out, it was called a deaf and dumb spirit. Have you ever noticed that when the devil fully possesses somebody, the first thing he goes after too is... Their mouth. Why? Because Jesus told us in the parable of the sower. The sower sows the word. And yes, he is specifically talking about the word of God, but the sower sows his words. See, your greatest seed in life are your words. Your greatest, and that's why what you were saying, John, is true when Jesus says Pray for that person that has offended you. That prayer is a blessing, is what the prayer is. Father, I speak blessing over them. Father, increase them. Father, do this for them. I speak life over them. I speak favor over them. Lord, that that whatever happens, and you're, come on now. See, it's not just, you know, Lord, you kill them before I do. (laughs) 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 Right? (laughs) Right, you get them before. It's actually a, you're declaring over them the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of life. You are declaring over them light. You're declaring over them revelation. You're declaring over them. Why? Because you're sowing the word. Amen. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Miss Angela. Angela. That is our responsibility. Yes. Sometimes we feel like we've forgiven somebody, but that thing gets in that heart. It's like a seed. You know, the enemy is a counterfeit Mm -hmm. of what God says. One plant, another water, he brings the increase. And when we just kind of tuck it away and say, oh, I'm good, I forgive. But the true testament of your forgiveness, and when you come in contact Mm -hmm. with that person, what is your attitude? Yeah. That's right. Well, and here's the thing, I, I, and I'll land the plane on this one, and I'll let y'all go. So remember, love and forgiveness are tied together because we see that in Jesus. So I learned this from Dr. Vody Botcomb, a good Baptist brother, and I love his definition of the love of God. And then I'm going to use it in connection to forgiveness, right? So Dr. Vodi says like this love is an act of the will that is then followed by an emotion. That always seeks the highest good of the person being loved, right? So that's one of the best definitions I've heard to explain the love of God. Now let's do this, but that's also forgiveness. And see, Ms. you. see, forgiveness is an act of the will that will then at one time be accompanied by an emotion later, but it doesn't start out as an emotion, It starts out as an act of the will, just like my words do. My words are an act of my will. I may not feel it, but I know still what to sow and to say. See, and that, please hear me, and that's not fake it till you make it. That's also, no, this is when I look at the word of God and I know God's will and his thoughts on a matter, then I don't have to feel that. Now, it will help me out tremendously if I will let my feelings come in line as quickly as possible. But I don't need to feel it to say it. Does that make sense? I can just look at it and go, this is what God, this is what my father would say. And so as an act of my will, I speak to this offense. And I command this offense out of my life. I command, I forgive this person. I release them. I let it go. Right? Later, sure, I believe the emotion will come. But it's an act of the will first, followed by an emotion that always seeks the highest good of the person being forgiven. And that's that prayer part you were saying, John. It's to give the place, Lord, I seek the highest good of the person who offended me. Again, because I, I again, last, I read this on Facebook the other day. Y'all know it's true because it's on Facebook. But, it's, <laughs> but, it's a, but I read this on Facebook the other day. It said this that the Apostle Paul was welcomed into heaven. By the cheers of those he had martyred. I love that thought. That that hit me pretty hard. Wow. Paul was welcomed into heaven. By the cheers of those he had martyred. See, that's forgiveness. Amen. All right, guys. Love y'all. Have a great, great week. We'll see you back here next week. And see you in service in just a minute.